This reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. We all have our favorite Christmas carols. And if I'm uh, one of the benefits of being the minister is I get to choose mine quite often, and we've got two tonight. I think it would be fair to say that some of the carols are better than others. Some of them are perhaps a little too sentimental. And tonight, we focus just for a few minutes on three of the carols that were sung by those who were present at the birth of Jesus. And the first one that Sheila read is Mary's song. Mary, the mother of Jesus, singing from her heart. It is a remarkable song from a remarkable young woman. In his plan of salvation, Mary was used by God in a special way. She was the mother of Jesus, And she is singing, her song free of any sentimentality, full of significance. Mary's song is not about herself. 
even though all generations will call her blessed, as we are tonight, Mary's song is not about her. It is about the child she is carrying. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The child she is carrying is the Savior of all humanity. The child she is carrying, and what insight she has when she sings. The child she is carrying is her Savior. Many years later, Mary watched her son die on a Roman cross. She heard his first cry when he was born. She heard her son cry from the cross as he bore the wrath of God for her sin and for all who believe in Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She heard his first cry, and she heard his last cry, it is finished, as he breathed his last. The cost of his mother's salvation, the cost of our salvation, the death of her son, the death of the Son of God. Listen to these words from a song that describes Jesus' death. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death, life is mine to live, one through your selfless love. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us took the blame and bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Do you stand forgiven? Do I before God tonight? Can you sing with Mary? My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You can sing that song tonight through believing in Him as your Savior. Believing in Jesus means giving in. Giving in to Him. Standing at the foot of His cross and singing, What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at His cross. And the moment you believe in Jesus with a deep consciousness of sin and of need of forgiveness, and with a deep consciousness of the significance of his death as the answer to that need, the instant, the moment you believe in Jesus, you are reconciled to God. And one of the best loved Christmas carols, fighting for a place on my funeral list, puts it so well. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. Not soft mercy, because that mercy, God and sinners reconciled. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. These uh, readings we've had are from Luke's Gospel, one of the eyewitness historical accounts of Jesus' life. Luke begins his gospel with these words, I have written these things to you so that you may have certainty of the things you have been taught. In one of the services, I forget which one, there have been so many, somebody said to me after the service, are you suggesting that these accounts are not faith narratives but true? And my response to that person was the author of these books is suggesting to us that they were true because they saw these things or they recorded the eyewitness testimony of those who were there and saw these things. If these are faith narratives, all that coming to a service like this will do for us, and it's a good thing, is give us some sense of pause or time out or a solemn moment, and that's a good thing. But if these are historically accurate eyewitness testimonies, then that's a whole different thing. Angels. What picture does an angel bring to your mind? I love the stained glass windows in this church. If you saw them during the day, they're magnificent. Apart from one, 
the one up there through that transit, of a rather gentle-looking creature with wings. Think of the shepherds in the fields when the angel of the Lord appeared to them. They were struck dumb with fear. Why? Because they found themselves in the presence of the glory of God. And I expect that if we found ourselves in the presence of the glory of God, we would be, as the carol puts it, sore afraid. And if one angel is scary, what about verse 13 that Graham read? Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those whom he is pleased. The multitude of the heavenly host, these words literally mean the massed armies of glory, an awesome and terrifying force of celestial soldiers. Picture for those of us who are older, one of these movie reels of massed armies marching through a capital city. That's the picture that is described here. Now, what is going on? At the birth of Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing in heaven. The angels sang glory to God in the highest. The massed armies of heaven sang glory to God in the highest because God had intervened to put himself back into the center of the world. With the birth of Jesus Christ, the everlasting kingdom of God broke into this dark world. And from then and forever, God will have the glory in all things. But there's something strange. This most significant event in human history, an event that gave birth to the most famous person that has ever lived. An event that rescheduled our calendars. The event that put God back into the center of the world and caused heaven to burst into song with unparalleled rejoicing in heaven. Heaven burst into song, but earth didn't. For me, the most beautiful Christmas carol, chosen, I think, by the Queen in her Christmas speech a few years ago, in the bleak midwinter. Now, if you hear the words of that carol as describing the weather conditions in the Middle East that night, they are profoundly unhelpful. There was no snow. But I have always heard them symbolically or figuratively. Listen to these words. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan, Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. In heaven, there was rejoicing at the birth of Jesus, yet earth stood hard as iron, unmoved. The humble circumstances of Jesus' birth in a stable point to his humility 
points to the fact that the King of God's everlasting King is God's servant, God's suffering servant, who will die in shame and degradation on a cross, the price and penalty for our sin. But the circumstances of his birth, the humility of them, also point to the harshness and the hardness of the human heart. The harshness, the hardness, the indifference to Jesus, then and still. His birth, the greatest event in heaven, hardly noticed on the earth. And nothing has changed. Now, over the course of Christmas, we have maybe had seven, eight hundred people in here. But there are 600,000 people in this city. But the striking thing is this, the fact that on earth people do not recognize the significance of Jesus' birth does not in any way alter the significance of Jesus' birth. And there will come a day when Jesus returns and the angels in heaven will sing again. And all people on earth will hear and heed their song. It will be a wonderful day. It will be a dreadful day. Wonderful for those who believe. Dreadful for those who have rejected Jesus. I find myself as a minister often asking bold questions because I spend my time with people facing big issues in life. Are you ready for that day? At the birth of Jesus, there is rejoicing in heaven and there is reconciliation on earth. The angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Christmas is about peace on earth. Ten years ago, the most common phrase in a Christmas card had the word peace in it. And now, of course, that's all gone. Christmas is about peace and goodwill to all people. Half a dozen people, I think slightly the worse for wear, expressed peace in not quite these words to me as I walked here tonight. And there is a general expression of humanity to our fellow humans at Christmas, which is a good thing. It happened when I was in London, where we lived, and I was on the Northern Line when the bomb blew up a train at King's Cross. And just for a day in London, people spoke to each other. People were kind to each other. People thanked the policemen for what they were doing. But it passed. And then heads were down. And Christmas will pass. And we'll be back to normal. And that horrible sight of Christmas trees lining the streets, lying outside houses. Christmas, or the message of Christmas, 
The message of Christ as Savior is not fleeting, is not transient. Because it is not reconciliation between people, it is reconciliation between you and God. The Bible describes it this way. Before you were a Christian, you are at war with God. Living in rebellion, God's anger, God's hostility against sin directed at you. God and humanity at war. God and me at war. Hostility. And when you become a Christian, when you come to Jesus to the cross empty-handed, at that moment, hostilities cease between God and you. And there is the most enormous weight taken off your shoulders. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. I was with a man this week who is ill and he said to me, how on earth can I have assurance of my eternal salvation while I live on this earth? And I took him to these words, what does the angel sing? And on earth, peace. Surely, he said, I need to wait to heaven to discover if I have done enough. We can have peace on earth at midnight on Christmas Eve because reconciliation to God is based not on who we are, what we have done or haven't done. And in his case, it was what he hadn't done. Our reconciliation to God is based entirely on what Jesus has done. All we need to do is take it. The Christmas carol in the bleak midwinter speaks of the hardness of the human heart. Earth stood hard as iron. But there's another verse. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him my heart. Will you give Jesus your heart? Our final reading continues Luke's history. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do with him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. When Jesus was brought to the temple by his parents, and this old man, Simeon, maybe in his 80s, realized who the child was, he took Jesus in his arms, and he blessed God, singing, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. When you are little, Christmas is the most exciting time. Some of these little children at four o'clock were virtually bursting with excitement. What are these gifts under the tree with all the endless fingerprints on them? It is a magical time. It is. And many of us, not all of us, but many of us can look back fondly to these times in our childhood. Many of us can look back winsomely to these times in our children's childhood. Some of you might look forward to them in your children or grandchildren tomorrow. When you are older, the magic is a little tarnished. Maybe as a teenager, you're after money or vouchers to save for something. When you're much older, our age, you start to say stuff like, let's wait till the sales, which as we speak are being prepared. My wife Sally took me to the fort this week for late night shopping. And safe to say her husband was his usual predictable self. Quote, myself, I don't want anything, I don't need anything. And I know that is a helpless and a hopeless attitude for which I apologize. I get over it every year and enjoy Christmas. I wonder, though, if as a minister, there is reason perhaps, because of the nature of what I do, to reflect often on what really matters. For every Christmas, there is someone, well, usually much more than someone. And this Christmas is no exception. Some situation that makes it so obvious what Christmas is really about the gift of a Savior, Jesus. Simeon was an old man close to the end of his life. What do you want for Christmas, Simeon? What can I give you? What gift would you like? His answer, all I want is to see Jesus. I want Jesus. And you know as well as I do that in the end, things don't matter. People matter. And the person that matters most is Jesus. Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is that light in the darkness? He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now ask yourself, deep, deep down, in a moment like this, On Christmas Eve, with all the stuff in your life going through your head, 
past, present, and future. Deep down. Don't you want that gift of salvation, of forgiveness, of reconciliation to God, of eternal life? Don't you want to know you are at peace with God? Don't you want that as one year moves into the next, with all the uncertainty it will bring? And if you have that already, you know you have the most precious possession. If you don't have it, you can have it all now, simply by faith, by believing, by accepting your need of salvation, and turning to Jesus to meet that need. And then you'll be safe. Whatever 2018 brings, safe for all eternity. Like Simeon, you will be ready to die at peace with God. Amen.